Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. When you uh, look really at uh, almost any successful endeavor uh, and try and understand uh, perhaps some of the things that uh, brought people to that point of success, one of the things you'll always find is good planning. Uh, In many of our previous podcasts in this series, we've discussed the importance of planning, uh, whether it be for business or personal issues. We'll do that again today. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and uh, today we're going to hear uh, about that theme, but we'll actually touch on what might happen without a good plan. So rather than uh, talking about uh, the approach of having a good plan, we'll talk today uh, about perhaps not having one. Now, the fact that most of us do take time to plan for things that we know are coming. Now, what we may tend to ignore are things that are less likely to occur and impact us. But when those unexpected issues arise and we're not prepared, certainly difficulties are going to follow. Now, joining me today to discuss uh, our topic of guardianship is attorney Michael Roth, Michael comes to us from Lavelle Law, where he spends much of his time with the estate planning practice group, among others. Uh, Michael, thanks for taking the time. Nice to talk to you today. Oh, thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, uh, I want to talk, uh, as we said there at the beginning, about guardianship, but I was kind of setting that up in in terms of viewing it as, uh, as how people do or don't plan. And just before we get into some of the definitions and technical things, do you see that a lot of people you know, may step forward to put together an estate plan with a will and worry about things that happen if they should or when they should pass away, but they tend to shy away from overlooking the possibility of them becoming perhaps incapacitated, and overlooking that is kind of a bad idea in terms of leaving them incomplete in coverage? Absolutely. In fact, Jim, um, the majority of folks that come in here or, or, or uh, prospective clients that I talk to don't have any plan at all, no will, no trust, um, and, and obviously no powers of attorney for property or health care. Uh, but we, we take great pride in educating our clients and counseling them, providing guidance on the importance of having, at, at the very least, your powers of attorney for health care and property in place. Yeah, very critical things that we've talked about. Now, today we're going to talk about guardianship, which, which I think takes a little different view of this. So kind of set us up here a little bit. Tell us what guardianship really means from a, from a legal perspective. Absolutely. Um, initially, uh, you know, guardianship um, is, can be avoided, and it can be quite expensive and quite protracted. But again, as we discussed a little earlier, Jim, it can be avoided if if you do have your powers of attorney for healthcare and property in place. And we're going to get into that a little bit more um, uh, later in the talk here. Um, but an adult guardianship in Illinois is governed by the Illinois Probate Act, um, and in Cook County. Um, where we tend to see a lot of our practice. Um, uh, In Cook County Circuit Courts, it's uh, uh, governed by uh, Rules Part 12. Uh, uh, So a guardianship um, is appropriate when the court finds by clear and convincing evidence that an alleged disabled adult is unable to make their own health care and financial decisions. Now, by adult, I mean, obviously, 18 years and older. Because if you're younger than that, Mm -hmm. mom, dad, 
will be able to make those decisions for you. Um, you know, it's really important to note, Jim, that, that if an alleged disabled adult has executed power of attorney for health care and property while still competent, while they still have mental capacity, and those powers of attorney are valid, uh, um, as we stated earlier, the guardianship is not necessary. So you can avoid a lot of, uh, of, of litigation, um, family disputes, um, and frankly, thousands and thousands of dollars in litigation costs. We're just getting in front of this now, getting your POAs together. Um, otherwise, if you do have your valid powers of attorney in place for healthcare and property, property, the only time you'd ever need a guardianship, Jim, is when um, an agent under that has passed away. Um, and by agent, I mean this is the person on the powers of attorney document that makes decisions mm -hmm. for you as the principal. Now, the, again, the only way that you'd ever need a guardianship um, if you do have valid POAs, if one agent passes away, um, the agent acted improperly uh, and or in breach of the fiduciary duty to the principal, um, and that there's no successor agents appointed or willing to act. So we've, we've got um, a number of different ways to look at this, and, and as always, we're never going to get to all of them today, but I I'm, I'm see us heading down a certain path here. That when we talk about guardianship, as, as you sort of indicated there, if the person becomes incapacitated, they do not have the powers of attorney in place, it sounds like the court steps in to assign that person. Who gets involved at that point? I mean, and beyond the, the judge, uh, who else becomes a part of this process? Well, the, it's usually a family member or a parent um, or, or a child, excuse me, of a, of a, of a, uh, um, of a senior citizen parent. Um, and that individual takes the place as the petitioner. So they're going to fill out the, uh, um, the petition. That gets filed with the probate court. And the petitioner um, is the individual obviously seeking to be appointed by the, by the court as a guardian. Um, and as, we just, as I just alluded to, it's usually the, a, a parent um, who has diminished capacity, so it's a son or daughter that's trying to make decisions for mom or dad. That's a lot of what we see. Um, there, there's other issues, which we can get in another podcast, uh, is uh, transition uh, issues for school-age children, uh, school-age children who, are, who, are, who have special needs and have that extra three years by federal law to, uh, uh, to attend school. As soon as they turn 18, they're presumed to be competent and have capacity to make their own educational decisions. So it's really important mom and dad get in front of that, and we're not going to go too into that, too in depth in that today, but it's really important mom and dad get in front of that when the, when the, uh, the child is about a sophomore or junior, and the child has an has a IEP or, 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 or a like plan to, to get those guardianship things in place so mom and dad can continue to make educational decisions. Um, all, so the individual who is the alleged disabled adult, for our purposes here, is called the respondent. Um, after the judge has adjudicated the respondent as disabled, the respondent then would become the ward. Okay? Um, they're also in these situations a guardian ad litem is usually appointed. We also refer to them as a GAL. Um, and that individual acts as the eyes and ears of the court. Um, the GAL, and I'm actually a, a pro bono GAL in Cook County, um, is an attorney appointed by the court to investigate what's in the best interest of the alleged disabled adult, um, or for our cases, the respondent. The GAL will mm -hmm. review medical records, interview the petitioner, um, 
Uh, they'll also provide financial status of the alleged disabled adult to the court. Um, again, really just acts as the eyes and ears of the court. We'll observe the respondent's living conditions, whether the respondent believes uh, he also he or she as a GAO will also ask what what the what the alleged disabled adult wants. Who do they want to act as their guardian? And in fact, whether they even want a guardian. And if they don't want a guardian and they plan to contest it, the court will then appoint an attorney to represent that alleged disabled adult. Because frankly. Jim, what we're, do, what we're talking about here is, is the court taking away some pretty fundamental basic rights of the alleged disabled adult. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a big deal. And the court takes that very yeah. seriously. Um, yeah. The respondent – oh, I'm sorry. Well, I, I, you know, I, I just wanted to back up for a second there because uh, we're, we're identifying some of, the, some of the parties involved here. But just quickly, you talk, when you talk about the powers of attorney, there's one for financial decisions, one for health decisions. Is it the same in guardianship as, as you kind of go through this, or are there, are there distinct differences? Would it be one person, multiple people? How does that all factor in? Absolutely, Jim. Great question. Um, in fact, there are two types of guardianships, uh, and usually the same person will act or at least petition to request the court to be appointed as the guardian of the person and of the estate, which is called a plenary guardian. Um, so that person would then, if the court adjudicates the uh, uh, alleged disabled person as disabled and lacking the uh, mental capacity, um, physical capacity to, uh, to make their own health care and financial decisions, this individual um, who petitions would then be appointed to make those on, them, on, their, on that individual's behalf. Um, so the guardian of the estate obviously manages the ward's finances, will pay bills, handle issues involving income and government benefits. Um, if the ward is low income, and typically I see a lot of that in pro bono uh, guardian ad litem assignments, obviously. We're dealing with, with low-income folks. Um, the ward typically won't need a guardian of the estate. Um, and, and, and something that we'll do um, in replace of that is that that individual may be receiving uh, government benefits in the form of Social Security, disability. Um, the Social Security Administration will actually appoint a representative payee typically the assisted living facility um, that the ward is at if it's, we're talking a senior citizen here. And then you won't need, there's no necessity for the guardian of the estate in that particular instance. We're uh, enjoying a great conversation with Attorney Michael Roth of Lavelle Law today and discussing some of the basics of guardianship, which, as you can hear, get complicated very quickly. Um, Michael shares his knowledge not only here on the podcast, but with a series of articles and, and videos at lavellelaw.com. Um, and you've heard him mention today uh, his pro bono work, and I'd like to take a minute to recognize him for what he's done for others. In 2010, he received the John Marshall Law School Diversity Award, and several years later was the recipient of the Center for Disability and Elder Law's Distinguished Service Award. So very committed to uh, helping uh, a wide range of people beyond just the clients that come through the door at Lavelle Law. Um, a, lot of, a lot of volunteer time that he puts in. Uh, today we're talking about guardianship, um, and you have described and painted a picture that involves a lot of people, um, uh, multiple concerns. Uh, sounds like this could be a very complex and lengthy process. Um, I assume that the court tries to minimize that, but with anybody contesting, uh, how does this process really play out then? Oh, absolutely. You know, just from nuts to bolts, when the uh, petitioner files the original petition, the uh, alleged disabled adult will receive uh, a number of, will have to obviously be served with a summons. Proper service is, is required. Um, uh, they'll receive an overview of uh, their rights 
um, as the respondent. Um, so those can include you know, the right to an attorney, the right to a jury trial, um, the right to present evidence in the contrary of needing a, uh, uh, um, a guardian appointed, um, and a right to tell the judge who that individual prefers to act as their guardian. Um, and again, a lot of these times, and then again, Jim, you can't, I can't drive this point home enough. This is why it's so critical to have your powers of attorney in place because a lot of times we see these guardianship matters here at LaBelle. Um, we've got one family member, usually a child of a, of a senior, of a parent who's a senior citizen who has diminished capacity, um, no POAs in place, and, and there's other siblings in there. They, there's nothing but fights. Um, and it causes a, a great amount of division between the family. Um, so again, proper planning is so critical to avoid this stuff, and again, to avoid avoid the the the, the potentiality of, of spending thousands of dollars to adjudicate this matter um, in order to make sure that somebody's doing the right thing and helping mom or dad or helping that loved one. Um, again, you know, after the judge has reviewed all of the filings, you know, and the GALs files the reports and the physician reports, um, and there's a particular physician report that has to be filed at some point during the proceeding, typically when the petition's filed, is called the CCP 211. And just to let the folks know out there, that form can be filled out if you're the petitioner, if you're the child of the alleged dis disabled adult or a family member, um, their primary care physician has seen this document. They'll know exactly how to fill that out. It's pretty straightforward. And then that gets filed along with your petition or subsequent to filing your petition. And the judge, the GAL, they rely heavily upon this evaluation to, to make this determination. Uh, and they obviously they, they take this determination very seriously. So we're dealing with people's constitutional rights. Um, again, so important to get out in front of this. Um, get your powers of attorney in place. We have an incredibly robust and experienced estate planning group here that can help you do that, help you plan, help you plan for your parents. Um, so try to avoid guardianships at all, all costs. Yeah. And and the best way to do that is, as you say, through the planning and the and the right tools up front. Thirty seconds left, Michael. If if you find yourself in this situation, you haven't prepared, and and the situation comes up, any other alternatives? Anything else that we would at least need to be aware of? You know, unfortunately, not. Um, if if uh, the uh, uh, the individual has lost capacity, can't make those financial and healthcare decisions for themselves. No powers of attorney in place. Um, you're not going to be able to talk to financial institutions on that individual's behalf. Um, you're not going to be able to to talk to medical professionals, review medical records for all our, our HIPAA laws in place. Um, uh, so, again, the only way around this is uh, getting your mm -hmm. powers of attorney in place. And, and any, every single person 18 and over should have their powers of attorney for health care. And, and, and it's not, it, it is very inexpensive to do that and not time-consuming. Yep. Um, so I recommend giving us a call and um, uh, 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 setting an appointment and uh, moving forward with your plan. And that will certainly be the recommendation. First of all, thanks uh, to Michael Roth for being here. Very informative discussion today. As he mentioned, a uh, quick phone call, 847-705-7555, will help address some of these issues. And if you want to learn a little bit more, take some time, go to lavellelaw.com. You can see the different practice groups and listen to some of our past podcasts, download some articles, a lot of information there, and we hope to provide more of the same on future episodes here.